everyone and welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. My name is Rosie and I'm here with my co-host and husband Jeremy as always and today we are joined with or by Giovanna Heyman. Thank you so much for being here. Um, Jeremy's going to introduce him properly as always but we really hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you Rosie. Thank you so much Giovanna for being with us today for taking the time to record this episode with us. Yeah thanks for having me. Um, we talked to you a few weeks ago uh, because you were a guest in the yoga teacher training uh, Rosie and I uh, have been doing. Uh, by the time people record this episode, it will be done with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Congratulations on, on becoming a yoga teacher. Thank you. <laughs> Both of it's, you. It's a lot. It's a lot more than I thought it would be. Like a lot of information, a lot of learning, a lot of thought-provoking conversations. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's more, than, it's more than people expect, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. way more than just fancy poses and and (laughs) stuff like that that i thought it would be uh and and actually like that's what i've been saying to a lot of people is what i enjoyed the most in this training or the conversation that we've been having with all the guests and and the group Uh, Mm -hmm. i would do it again just for that yeah you could actually remove all the poses i would do it again (laughs) just for that honestly Uh because i think it was so valuable I've learned so much about all the conversation that we had that it was worth it just for that. Yeah, I think. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's how I spend my life, actually. (laughs) There's a lot there's a lot to to think about in yoga, a lot. Mm. Way more than, yeah, I thought. Um, So the reason you were a guest on on the training was because you are the founder of an organization, a nonprofit called Accessible Yoga. Mm. Uh, And actually, your book was uh, one of the, the book we we had to read for the training accessible <laughs> yoga <laughs> as well um and yeah your the the purpose of this organization that you created you founded is to bring yoga to everyone to make it accessible to mm-hmm. to everyone uh and not just flexible wealthy healthy able-bodied people um yeah. to really have it access to everyone because it can be beneficial uh, for everyone on the physical way and also on the mindset and psychological way. You can bring much more than just having a flexible body. Uh, yeah. So that's that's what we've that's one of the things we've been learning through the training. And your talk was the, the book and the talk were really interesting. Uh, I, I've never thought about before doing yoga I've, i mean before doing yoga i thought yoga was just a girl thing mm. fancy stretches to be honest yeah <laughs> let's be honest that was my cliche yeah. um and i've never thought people in a wheelchair could be doing yoga yeah. before this training I've, that never crossed my mind mm. uh, and and just going through your book and seeing all the adaptation for all the the pose that we know uh was like mm, actually a lot of people could benefit that. People like me, that are stuck <laughs> in front of a laptop eight hours a day uh-huh. on the chair, yeah. uh, doing some of the stretches that you have and some of the movement for 15 minutes doing my lunch break would be mm. good for me. Yeah. Uh, or grandparents, you know, or some, some people that can't get down on the mat because just yeah. laying down on the mat is not accessible for everyone. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, it was so interesting. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. I really do. I, I mean, I, I, you made me think of two things. I mean, one, one is that yoga is so much more than the poses, and 
I think that's really important because, you know, yoga to me is like, um, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, it's like this whole way of life and it's a way of um, really making peace with yourself, you know, and having a, a better relationship with your own mind because yoga really is about working with your mind. Um, which is funny because everyone thinks it's just about the body. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a secret. And I think part of my work with accessible yoga is actually trying to make that information accessible too. So it's not just around the poses, although that's important. But I do think um, it's like you were saying, there's so much else there. There's so, there's so many beautiful and powerful practices in yoga that so many people could benefit from. And so we need to share those with the world. And, and also we need to share these practices with people with disabilities, which is where my, my work started. But um, we can talk more about that if you want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So before diving into the work you're doing right now, uh, what I found amazing about you also is your story and how you got into yoga. Because uh, that's a really moving, inspiring story just by itself, I think. Uh, so maybe let's go back a few years ago, a few decades ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, uh, if you want to share with us uh, how, well, maybe let's start with a bit uh, before that. Like, where are you from? Here we are, basics. Where am I from right now or originally? Uh, yeah, originally. Uh, I mean, I grew up in, in the, on the East Coast around New York City and mm-hmm. in Connecticut and um, I, I would say that piece of like where the yoga started was with my grandmother who already practiced yoga when I was a small child. She, she was like, a, I don't know what, she was like an older hippie. So <laughs> she was already, you know, because I think yoga really came here into the, to the U.S. in the 60s with the hippies. Like that was really when it got popular. And, and she was already older at that time and, and really embraced it, though. I mean, she was always kind of a revolutionary person. But she was practicing every day and she lived with us a lot. So I would just I grew up kind of seeing her practice and then she would teach me when I was a very small child. So I feel lucky in that way that I had that. um, And also that my first um, image of yoga was her like she was already an older woman. I mean, she was probably at that time, I don't know, in her 60s. You know, and so I was already seeing her practice. And that was my first vision of yoga, which is interesting. Yeah, mm. it's, way, it's probably way different than most kids right now. What they're seeing about yoga, yeah. the first image is <laughs> an advert about from Lululemon probably or yeah. something like that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the, the opposite of that. So yeah, obviously, I'm, I'm sure that left a, a print somewhere in your memory. And, yeah. And that was helpful. Yeah. Um, so if we, if we jump uh, a few years later, you move to the West Coast. Yeah, uh, right. For, that was for college? Uh, no, actually, I went to school in Ohio. But then after, after well, even during college, I, 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 I had come out of the closet, you know, as a gay man and when I was 17. And that was right in the middle of the AIDS epidemic, which, you know, was mostly at that time. I mean, it was really around gay men. I mean, it was gay men who were getting sick and dying. And so I kind of came out and then all the people I was meeting were... Um, you know, dealing with this huge crisis, this epidemic, kind of like now, you know, like now the whole world is dealing with this epidemic or the pandemic. And at that time, it was like, it felt like it was just gay men in the beginning of those years. And so it felt like it wasn't really, um, it wasn't getting the attention that it really needed. Um, And people with AIDS were being ignored and ostracized and 
even at that time, the government here in the U.S. was very conservative. And actually, it was there were people who were saying it was um, like our karma that like gay men should die because wow. they're sinners. You know, so there, there was these messages that were just ridiculous. And I had just I was just coming out and it was like so upsetting and infuriating. And so I became an AIDS activist, really. And that's what I spent those years um, really during college and after. Um, I had moved first to New York briefly and then to San Francisco. And those were really where a lot of the activism was happening around um, AIDS. So I got involved with that, with ACT UP as an organization. Yeah, because um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it's still the case. But back in the days, also San Francisco was one of the biggest gay community, yes. right? Yeah, um, New York. New York and San Francisco yeah. um, still are pretty much. Yeah. How? Was it well before you you discovered the that a lot of people were being affected by AIDS in in the gay community and everything? Uh, if you don't mind me asking, like how was getting out of the closet for you? Like the, mm. what, like you you said seventeen years old, right? Yeah, I'm yeah. Um, so. I mean, I I think I had it okay. My parents were accepting which was great. I didn't know how they'd respond, but they were both pretty liberal. So I think I was lucky, but I think, you know, it's hard to think back. That was, I'm, I'm, how old am I? I'm 53. <laughs> so it's been a while, you know, and things were different back then. Yeah. Um, and even now I think it's hard for young people to come out, but back then it was harder. I'd say that there was just so much stigma and fear. And I, I didn't know. I mean, when you're 17, you don't know, you don't really have a way of, you don't have, I didn't have perspective on it. So it felt just huge and so overwhelming. And then I guess the piece that I would share is just that it felt like such a, I was so proud of myself for doing it, for coming out. And then to do that and feel like excited about really embracing that part of my life, which I'd been hiding. I mean, I always knew I was gay and I kind of hid it from myself and mm. And yet I came out and then to come out in the middle of this like complete devastation mm. was such a strange experience for me because I was it was like, finally, I get to socialize and date and and um, just be with my community. And then they were suffering so much. So it was just like a strange moment. Interesting. Yeah, it's like you've been waiting for years to open <clears throat> this door to have the freedom and and and, and you see a lot of suffering behind it so it must have been yeah. Like, oh, like yeah really hard to um so you got involved into uh yeah the aids movement protesting uh, volunteering helping in, yeah. in in auspices to uh yeah help people uh, suffering at this time H how did you get involved uh was it through yoga or not yet that wasn't part of the practice yet no it wasn't through yoga at all it was just through through my friends, like the people I was meeting, they were going, you know, the more activist type of people I was meeting who were upset about what was happening with AIDS kind of told me about ACT UP. And I started going to those meetings actually in New York um, <clears throat> when I, I was still in college in Ohio. But every time I go on a break, I kept going to New York to these ACT UP meetings. And it was an incredible group of just brilliant and dynamic young activists. They were a little bit older than me. They were probably like all, you know, like three or four years older than me or a little more. So I thought they were really old and mature, but I was like, a, I was like the young kid in the corner, just watching and learning. And 
amazed by them. Just brilliant people who, I think those meetings, just sitting through like hours and hours of those meetings just really taught me so much about activism, social justice. Um, the meetings were run by consensus, which is just like a detail that I always like to mention because it's so interesting. Consensus is a process. I mean, first of all, you think about if you're going to run an activist group, you have anyone can come to this group, totally random people come. And there were a hundred people at a meeting, but the meetings were run by consensus, which meant that any decision that was made, everybody had to agree. Mm. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> it was so interesting to me. It really, um, it really made me think about the way structures are created, politics, the way that um, power works and those dynamics it was so interesting and you know there was really um, an emphasis on listening to voices of marginalized people within the group like people of color women um people who actually had aids there were the you know the voice that we were trying to listen to the most so it was really interesting experience such an education that i got those days um which i didn't realize at the time yeah. but i was being <laughs> educated by these amazing activists you know and um and also being educated by my then my friends who I met who were um, sick and were dying themselves. So I talk like in the book, I think I talk about my friend Kurt, who yeah. uh, once I moved to San Francisco, became my best friend and he died of AIDS in 1995. And that he was really the, the main influence, I would say, on me at that time to just to understand how um, spirituality and I don't know what the word is how how we learn about ourselves through the process of illness disability and death which i think is something that has been a theme in my work for sure yeah especially because that was happening to people that were your age yeah uh, so you could relate it's not when i mean when you see older people uh yeah suffering it's it's, it's not the same right in, internally you don't process the information the same way because yeah, when it's someone that's literally the same age than you, I guess it's like, it could be me. Uh, exactly. And, and that's a whole different, I mean, I've, I've never experienced that, but I, I could imagine that that's a whole different story and a whole different, whole different things going through. Well, I mean, it's like what we're dealing with uh, COVID a little bit. I mean, it's just a little more intense. So I don't know, you know, many people have lost um, family and friends with from COVID, but some of us haven't, you know, some of us have been free of that. But if you think of the people who've been really in the middle of it, I think that's kind of how it was. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, with COVID, it's mostly older people, but with AIDS, it was young people. It was young gay men who were dying. And um, in the early years, we didn't really understand how to be safe or what was going on. There was a lot of fear and a lot of um, fear of people that, you know, people became afraid of us, but also we were afraid of each other. It was, it was scary to have sex. Um, it was, you just didn't know, like you were risking yeah. your life by being with people. <laughs> it was a very strange time. And and I think with COVID, we saw a lot of that coming up in the beginning of COVID, like, you know, like thinking that you had to wash all your produce when you buy at the yeah. store and like, you know, wear gloves everywhere. And now we realize, well, it's mostly airborne. So like, just like with HIV, we didn't know in the beginning so much about the virus. Um, and it was a lot of fear. Interesting. Um, yeah. 
it was it was such an interesting time and it's a lot of that's been coming up for me now with covid it's interesting mm-hmm. but also with covid i see that it's been treated mostly in a more fair way like it doesn't feel like i mean it's definitely impacted marginalized groups like covid has um impacted people mostly i think because they have la- less access to healthcare or whatever those reasons are but it doesn't feel like um actually there is prejudice around um asian people and you see that the impact that's having having um on that community and i think that's similar to um aids and how gay gay men were um ostracized and were um actually threatened i mean it was it was scary also i i was definitely threatened people would um say mean things to me and it, it was unclear whether that was just because I was gay or because of AIDS, like how much AIDS mm-hmm. made that more kind of just like what's happening with, with the Asian community right now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess one of the main difference would be also that right now everyone can get COVID. You can yeah. be as careful as you can, you can still get it if it's you know meant to happen in a sense uh, when in the 90s i guess uh aids was well uh was impacted the gay community way more um, i don't know the numbers but it, it must be a, a, a majority and it's always the same like the politics and everything it's yeah. they, they only care when it can affect them <laughs> or yeah, everyone exactly and if it's if uh, it's just a small group they don't care that yeah. much i mean that's sad to say but it's the truth Exactly. And it's sad. Um, and it yeah. didn't impact the majority of Americans in the beginning. Uh, eventually it did, I think. But, mm. um, you know, AIDS is a blood-borne virus, so it's transmitted in very different ways than um, COVID, you know, as an airborne virus. So I think that's that was part of how it shifted and changed because it was more, you had to have, like, intimate contact with someone. Um with HIV to get it, unlike with COVID, it could be through, uh, you know, just in the air. Yeah, just sneezing, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so at this time, what were you focusing on in terms of career? Well, I my background is in art, actually, um, <laughs> which is funny because I, mm. I had studied drawing and painting for years and years, but then that kind of went out the door and I started to look for work related to AIDS. Um, I actually at that time, well, I, when I was in, I was in New York for a short time and I worked in galleries and I, and I was assisting artists trying to get into that world. But I was so, I was so frustrated by that because I, it felt so at odds with my politics. Like I was really wanting to help people with HIV and AIDS and, and to be an activist and the art world was just all about money. And I was just like, oh, it was, it was really painful, um, revelation that I had working at this. I worked on a for a gallery in um, Midtown Manhattan. <laughs> it was just the way they treated the art and the artists. It was just so upsetting. Mm. It was just, it was about money. Yeah. So then I had, I moved to San Francisco in 1990 and I kind of just d- dedicated myself more to activism and I got a job working at an AIDS newsletter, um, kind of as a reporter, which is not that I had any background in that at all, <laughs> but it was just like a way to get a job related to HIV and AIDS. Right. Um, and I wrote about um, AIDS treatments and I got to travel a little bit and do some reporting on on that, which was really great because it helped me to do my other work, um, which was basically activist work yeah. Um, yeah. to do. Yeah. yeah. 
and eventually so years of protesting and activism that's been building a lot of anger and stress and everything coming with that and that's when you stepped in a yoga studio right yeah and, and yoga became part of your life well there really weren't yoga studios Oh, yeah. back then <laughs> so much I mean not like we think of today but it was like in, it was actually 1990 that I I just moved to San Francisco and I I really was trying to find some way to help with my stress like I was so it was a lot of stress and I was angry yeah I was really um just it was so overwhelming and I didn't know how to ha handle the grief too that I was feeling and so I I, I kind of I w actually went to get a massage um like a friend of a friend had recommended this massage therapist. So I just went to her. Um, she lived in Berkeley. Her name is Kazuko Onodera. And she started talking to me about yoga. And she said, oh, and then I noticed on her wall, she had a photograph of this man, this older man. And I said, I know that guy. How do I know that picture? And I said, <laughs> and she said, oh, that's Swami Satchidananda. He's my teacher. And I said, oh, he was my my grandmother's yoga teacher too, oh. um, which sounds like a huge coincidence, but it's not really that huge because he was just very famous in those okay. days. Uh, he had like one of the big, most famous books on yoga um, and especially in California. My grandmother had been living in LA for a while and then this was in Berkeley. So it wasn't like, I mean, at the time I was like, wow, that's so weird. But in, when I think about it, it now, makes sense. <laughs> yeah. it's like, well, he was kind of all over the place, um, you know, but um, anyway, she said, so I told her, I was like, yeah, my grandmother um, studied with him. And and so she started talking about him with me. And then when and then she said, well, I have yoga classes here at her house. She was teaching yoga. So come to my class. So I started coming to her yoga classes there at her house. And I studied with her for many years. And and then she introduced me to Swami Satchidananda. He came to San Francisco, I think, like the next year to, to speak, you know, in public. And she brought me to meet him. And so then I just, I immediately like, loved yoga it just felt it just felt so good it just felt so helpful it helped resolve a lot of the stuff i was struggling with and especially i think what it really helped me with was um bigger questions around death you know that i i was really trying to figure out like like i really i had you know young people dying around me or sick and sick around me and, and just to find a philosophy you know, because I wasn't a religious person, I had no real religion growing up. And so like having, having those teachings, which talk clearly about um, the spirit being immortal, and the body being temporary, and, and really like, offering practices to lead us toward that understanding, it was just very straightforward and simple and accessible to me, you know, mm and really kind of answered a lot of questions that I had because I was really going through like an existential crisis, to be honest. I was just like, what the, you know, what's happening? Like, yeah. 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 Yeah, it was, I mean, talk about overwhelming and stress. I mean, yeah, this go, yeah. Going, going through something like that in your 20s when you're also like building your character and building uh, as a young adult, that's the, the, the impact and the invisible trauma that, the invisible scars that it's, mm -hmm. it's living in, like inside you must be pretty, pretty, pretty deep, obviously. So yeah, finding this practice was yeah. healing, I guess, for that. I mean, I think I was lucky because um, 
I think these are questions that everyone has to deal with eventually, but usually we ignore them until we're older or we get a diagnosis, right? So like people with disabilities and chronic illness are dealing with this all the time. Older people, you know, really our lives are limited and we don't act like they are. You know, we like to think that it's going to go on forever. Yeah. But it's not. And I, I really think that there's hard questions that we all have to face. It's just being human. That's, that's, that's what it is. And so to me, yoga has some amazing teachings around that, like being human, how, how to be human, mm. basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So how, so that helped you on a personal level to, yeah, yeah, to, to, to channel everything and to help you dealing with everything going through. Um, when did it click that you could use this this teaching to actually help other people? When mm. did it come in the picture? Well, so I, I started practicing with um, Kazuko, who I mentioned was my teacher, and she taught me for, I would say it was about four years of really intensive study and and she um told me that I should be a teacher and she started training me to be a yoga teacher and and then um but she had she was um Japanese American and she had a very strict way of teaching which was that she wanted me to be her apprentice and I was that was beautiful I was I was a really amazing experience I got to really work alongside her and like kind of just like yeah like be her apprentice and um, she taught me like tea ceremony. I don't know if you know Japanese tea ceremony and um, vegetarian cooking and gardening. And so, I mean, I really, she became like my mentor and I would just spend like all my time with her and she helped me so much. Um, really understanding how yoga is a lifestyle and, and it really is a philosophy to live more than just asana. And um, anyway, so she was incredible. But then I... Um, I got excited about teaching and I started to think that I could share these teachings with my community because I was benefiting so much. And so I was here, I was being an activist, but also my anger started to go away a little bit. I started to have a little more perspective on my life. So after about four years of studying with her, I said, look, I'm just going to go and take a yoga teacher training. So I went and I took a regular like 200 hour teacher training at Integral Yoga in San Francisco. Um, you know, which was a big step for me to kind of say, yeah, I want to, I want to bring this, I want to bring these teachings to the people who I see really could use them. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, here I was doing all this protest and activist work, but I also um, saw that there was an additional need there for for care. You know, mm-hmm. like I was, I was volunteering in an AIDS hospice, which I think I talk about in my book, and yeah. that just blew my mind. You know, like the Zen, the Zen hospice where they were using Buddhist teachings to support people through dying. And I felt like yoga could be another tool. Oh, also, I, I got a job. Um, well, that's the next step, I was going to say. I got a job doing that. Yeah. I don't know if that was what you wanted oh, to yeah, talk yeah, about. Oh, yeah, yeah, go on. Oh, yeah, go on. <laughs> well, well, what happened was, so I finally, I did a teacher training in 1995, which was the same year I said my friend Kurt died. Um, and so I, I did the training because I wanted to share yoga with people with HIV and AIDS. But then I got a job with Dean Ornish and he does, um, he's famous for being like bringing yoga therapy to people with heart disease. Um, 
really influential, kind of started the whole yoga therapy movement in, in the West by showing that yoga and a yoga lifestyle could reverse heart disease, which is like the, the main killer of people across the world, men and women. And his work is still just groundbreaking. And I learned so much from him and um, Nischila Devi, who was uh, created the yoga part of his program. Just I saw the way they were using yoga to care for people who were sick or had a disability. And um, and so I tried to bring that into my community. So I kind of used that as a model and I started, I created classes um, for people with HIV and AIDS kind of based on that Dean Ornish model, which just the way it influenced my teaching was more was that it was more than just asana because what he really showed me was that um community building was essential that the social um interaction is key for healing and that isolation can really lead to ill can increase um how quickly you get sick and die of heart disease and so I created, I tried to build community in my classes by having longer sessions where we would do like, we do two hour sessions, um, two hour yoga classes. So there would be um, usually like the first half hour was a discussion and just a conversation where I would read from like the sutras or the Gita or something, or we would just talk and then we would do a, a yoga class after that. Oh. Um, and I did those classes for about 12 years at a hospital in San Francisco and those, it just built this really strong community, uh, mostly gay men, you know, we're just really trying to support each other. It was really beautiful. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting way to approach uh, yoga and, and yoga teaching and a yoga class. I've never uh, heard of, of that before. Um, like a longer class, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah and th that that's your your training really to yoga is a tool to bring people together uh yeah in the way you you're doing it this way uh, and also i mean the fact that you're seeing that isolation increases the risks of disease and everything i mean yeah going through the pandemic like this past 12 months <laughs> yeah and, and i don't know how many people maybe haven't seen more than you know mm -hmm two or three faces in 12 yeah. months uh, and yeah. the impact that's going to have on the long term on the mental health and mm -hmm. of young kids and also like other people that are not blessed enough to have family and friends and, and a community behind them. Yeah. It's just also, scary thought. But also I think it, it helps us create more sensitivity for, around people who are already isolated before the pandemic because there already are yeah. a lot of people with disabilities or older people that are isolated mm. all the time. And this is no, not really that different, the time. So I, I hope that this time helped us to raise awareness around that. Um, and also the other reason I taught those two-hour classes was to go back to what you said very in the very beginning of this conversation, which was like that yoga is so much more than asana that there's such a beautiful philosophy that is complex <laughs> and, 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 you know, I think meaningful, like it can really have impact on, on our lives. And it was for me. So I was like, I was wanting to share what I was learning. So those classes, I remember those 12 years in particular were really about um, me kind of understanding how to apply the teachings in my life and learning from my students who were doing that. You know, a lot of them were, were dying, actually, and died. Many of them died, honestly. 
And so that process was really um, profound to just spend time with people who, um, yeah, were just really taking it very seriously. I watched, I mean, this is a piece that I, I don't mean, sometimes there's like disability porn. Do you know what that is? Where it's like inspiration porn. Yeah. yeah, is what I mean. Where you're just like, oh, look at this person with a disability who does this amazing thing. But what I what I'm saying is that I got to sit with people who were going through the dying process and really were going were healing themselves through that, and it was incredible. I I, I mean, it just transformed me in my life to be with people who who were facing their death in such a open and powerful way. Not everybody. I mean, some people died in a very angry frustrated way but some people were like able to really like transform them and that's not bad i mean whoever you however you die is okay you know there's no good and bad way of dying but i'm just saying like i was blown away by a, a number of you know i call them students but really they were my teachers who like just were so conscious about what was going on um as they were going through that um yeah. So it just it shifted my understanding. And also it it made me realize that I was the student. And I, and I think that's important to say, because accessible yoga and the work I do is really about trying to kind of get away from that idea of the teacher having the power and the knowledge and the student not having that. And I think all it takes is just a little humility, um, you know, to realize that everyone has wisdom. You know, all of your students, if you're a teacher, all of your students have wisdom too. And so you don't need to like fill up this empty cup. You can just inspire people, lift them up and show them how much they already know, you know, uh, like be a mirror more to them. There's something when, when you came uh, as a guest in, in the training that you said that really resonated with Rosie. Uh, yeah, it was something, I mean, I can't remember like word for word, but it was along the lines of um, like a beginner yoga student will just do what the teacher tells them to do, whereas mm. an experienced yoga student will listen to their own body. And it's not about getting into these crazy poses and doing the most yeah. extreme acrobatic yoga thing to be an experienced or a whatever advanced, advanced yoga person yeah. practitioner yeah. and that really blew my mind because I was like holy shit because like I remember mm. when I first started doing yoga like I would look at everyone around the room like oh my god I can't do this I can't stretch that way and this way yeah. and, oh my god I can't do what everyone else is doing and like I was pushing myself and sometimes I wouldn't be able to walk for three days because I'd just push myself so hard mm. to try and do what everyone else was doing whereas now I use blocks most practices uh -huh. because I enjoy using blocks yeah. whereas beforehand it was like oh my god no you don't use blocks because that's for people who can't do yoga whatever yeah. like you kind of have the idea whereas now it's like I enjoy using blocks and I actually yeah. prefer using blocks because I get more benefit from them and like yeah. I listen to my body a lot more in terms of what it wants and what it can do especially day yeah. to day as well and I think when you said that I was like yes I fucking love this guy like <laughs> well, thank you so much for saying that because it kind of ignited yeah. this thing in me I was like okay it's fine you don't have to do like or the acrobatics to be able to benefit from yoga. And I think that's what I had before we started this program. And mm. your talk really kind of, I don't know, validated, I don't know, whatever the oh, word is, like inspired me well, or whatever it is to kind of- Thanks, I appreciate that. I was, I would say that I did the same thing that, that, you're, that you said you were doing. I mean, I, I was a young man and I was very 
flexible and strong and I could do these crazy poses and I really hurt myself actually and so I was like during the same time that I was teaching these classes and really um, trying to learn this sensitivity I was not doing that in my own practice like I was definitely really being forceful and thinking that I had to achieve something so I was like at odds with myself during that time Mm -hmm. too and I I still have injuries from those days, uh, yoga injuries that have stuck with me. Um, so it's like, um, yeah, it's a lesson that I had to learn myself. The hard way. <laughs> <laughs> the hard way, yeah. And and so, I mean, I, I saw myself struggling with that competition and, you know, a lot of my teachers pushed me too. They pushed me. and. You know, but then I had other, thankfully, I had other teachers who showed me another way. Um, and again, I just kind of had to learn it by watching. And then again, watching my students, because it's like, I also saw people who were like, who were dying. And I was thinking, well, then what am I doing? You know, what am I doing? This doesn't make sense. Like, mm-hmm. they're benefit. Here's someone who's dying, who's benefiting from the practice. And I'm actually injuring myself <laughs> from this practice. <laughs> it just, it didn't make sense, you know. Yeah. yeah, it, it took it, me uh, years. It took me years. Yeah, but I, I think most probably most people are going through that. Um, I know one of the questions I asked Adrian before doing the training was, "How can I teach people yoga if I can't do most of the poses? If I can't do a handstand? If I can't do that? How can I teach people yoga?" Like. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people ask themselves those questions because that's what we see. That's what yeah. we are conditioned to to assume and to see. Yeah. Because again, like if you type on Google yoga, you see people doing that. So mm-hmm. it's conditioning. <laughs> it is. And also I think it it has to do with the, the way that yoga was brought into the into the West, into the US especially, mm-hmm. and in Europe too. It's a very, uh, it very much fed into the capitalist system. You know, yoga was kind of, um, I don't know. I don't want to say, I mean, it was colonized, but it was colonized even back in India by the British. You know, they colonized some of, of yoga back then, but especially when it was brought to the U.S. And I think you see, <clears throat> I mean, the history of yoga is very complicated, but I think you see, especially in the 1960s and around that time, some teachers who were just so focused on asana. And then that that was just like, we, the way Americans think, I think, is like with capitalism, it's like more is better. Yeah. And so doing more advanced is better. And, and we just got stuck on that. Um, and I just don't think that really reflects the teachings, which are generally about spiritual awakening and... And, and actually mortality. I mean, it really, the teaching, yoga really is about learning how to die. You know what I mean? And, and meaning, when I say that, what I mean is that it's about learning how to become, to come to some kind of peace with yourself so that you're ready to die because we're all going to die <laughs> and we want to pretend we're not. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I kind of feel like I was lucky because I had an early lesson in that. Like I had like advanced education in dying. And so... Um, and I saw that reflected in the teachings. And then I, as I started to get into the, I was teaching, you know, out in the regular, with regular classes as, as well. And I saw what was starting to happen. And, you know, everyone's getting into these advanced asanas and going crazy with that. And I was just thinking, but, but 
that's not what yoga really is. I mean, there's so much more here. I mean, that is part of yoga too. Like there is the fun of advanced poses. Like it's not, it's not bad. It's great. Like what's amazing about yoga is that it has this physical component that I think most spiritual traditions don't have. And yoga has a lot of um, teachings around how to use your body and it makes it very, that's actually very accessible. Do you know what I mean? Just because it's like, you can use your body. You don't have to go sit in a church and read or chant or do this. You can just move your body and that's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think sometimes we go too far. That's all. Maybe we go too far and um, we lose sight of the kind of purpose. Like there's a bigger purpose here. And that's what I ask people to consider really with their yoga practice or any spiritual practice actually is, is the why. Why are you doing it? And what is the benefit to you? Hmm. Um, yeah. What's the intention behind it? Yeah. Yeah. So then when did you start the nonprofit, the Accessible Yoga? When did that come about? Well, actually, so yeah, the um, I was, you know, I was so inspired by my students and, and I, I started working as a yoga teacher um, and actually, I was a gardener, a professional gardener for many, many years. That's actually how I survived most of my life. But then teaching yoga, you know, especially those days, it was very hard to make a living teaching yoga. I mean, it's hard now. Um, but like in the late 90s and then early 2000s, whatever we call them, that, those years, um, you know, you'd have to like teach all over the place. So anyway, um, I, I got a job leading a 200 hour training actually um, for integral yoga. I started doing that probably right around in like by 1998, 1999, I was leading the 200 hour trainings in San Francisco and that became my job and I would just do them one after another. And I had like so many. And what I noticed is my students and my other class, my students with disabilities wouldn't come to become, wouldn't come to take the 200 hour trainings. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I had in the 200 hour trainings, I would have newer students, non-disabled people who had maybe been doing yoga for like three months and were like, I want to become a yoga teacher. And then I had these like students with disabilities who had been teaching, who had been students for like 10 years. And they think, oh, I'm not a, I'm not a yoga teacher. I couldn't do that. Do you know what I mean? And so I got really frustrated. Huh? That's so interesting. Yeah. I got frustrated by who was coming to the teacher trainings that I was leading. Um, and actually accessible yoga, that name, it started when I, I, I created a 200 hour teacher training for people with disabilities to become yoga teachers. And so I called that the accessible yoga training because I, I wanted to make the teacher training accessible to people with disabilities because I loved it so much. Like you were saying about how much you've learned in teacher training. It's such a great way to get deeper into the teachings that is hard for a lot of yoga students otherwise to find that information, um, to study the philosophy under the care of people who have some experience. You know, it's like it's like having mentors in yoga, which are hard to find these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to share that with my students with disabilities and mostly encourage the ones who had been practicing for so long to become teachers. And so many of them did. It was quite amazing. Those were amazing programs that we led. Uh, and th- and many of those people actually helped form the nonprofit eventually. I mean, that really was the, that teacher training and those groups were the beginning of that, um, of the, of the nonprofit. Yeah. It's, 
what what you said is so interesting i think because um you you had this realization when you did your when you did the yoga teacher training but it's the same with classes and and that's a question that i'm i'm still i still can't find the answer is mm. um you know the, the teaching we we are doing with adrian and, and denise and everything is uh we are being taught that yoga can be practiced by everyone um multiple forms it can be chair yoga it can be accessible yoga we we have all the the different way to practice and teach and mm. practice um but how do you get the people that are usually not going to a yoga class to to knock yeah. at the door uh, how yeah. how do you, how do you make it it's it's all about raising the awareness because like you say like disabled people didn't believe they could become yoga teacher and right now mm-hmm. someone the, the vast majority of people with uh not even disability just limited in their movement are not gonna knock at the door of a yoga studio mm-hmm. because they're gonna think this is not for me i won't be able to do anything yeah uh and how how do you break this wall how do you bring people that believe they can't do yoga to a yoga class that's i haven't break yeah. this thing yet <laughs> yeah that's a good question i think um i think there's another question that's related to that which is that if those people do come to the class are the teachers prepared to teach them safely nope yeah so i in a way i don't know if we're ready to invite all those people to come to yoga i think that teachers need to get better trained. And that's why that's what I've been focusing on the last few years, because I, I, I had that same idea, um, you know, with accessible yoga, it's kind of changed a little bit over the years, it's expanded, so that, you know, right now, the nonprofit is really looking at all kinds of um, limitations, you know, to access, it's not just disability anymore, we really look at race, um, we look at issues of um, gender and sexuality, um, you know, and poverty, um, other issues that keep people from accessing the teachings, but the accessible yoga, the nonprofit's actually, um, the full name is accessible yoga association. And it's really a professional organization to support yoga teachers in, in doing a better job, you know, like, (laughs) just like you're saying, like to get yoga teachers to support each other to educate themselves, um, to, to have like, to build a community. And we consciously decided a few years ago, like we didn't want to create standards. Like we didn't want to become another professional organization like Yoga Alliance or the International Association of Yoga Therapists. Those are the two professional organizations in yoga that create the standards and the rules. So we're not trying to create more rules. We're trying to create a support network um, that helps yoga teachers to do better so they can they can then make yoga accessible yeah. and also to diversify the profession honestly so mm. to bring in more diverse yoga teachers is essential so that the teachers themselves are representative of the communities we want to reach um, i think there's a lot of work to do in that area because yoga is very much a practice that's done generally by white wealthy women um, and, and I don't think that's necessary. I, don't, I mean, I don't 
think it should be. I think yoga could be for many, many people. Um, but like I said, I, I don't, I want people to have a positive experience and not be, you know, injured or I think a lot of people, maybe I'll say this, since you have a very broad audience who people are maybe not interested in yoga, I just think it's worth reflecting on what people's experience has been of yoga. I think a lot of people have a negative experience where they seem, where it seems um, exclusive and um, not welcoming. And um, that's what I'm concerned about, that piece, you know. Yeah, it it reminds me of uh, something we were talking about a few a couple of weeks ago with rosie um we had one of the weekend that we had in the yoga teacher training was a trauma informed weekend mm-hmm. um about you know like be mindful with the word you're using yeah. so you don't uh hurt someone let's make it really simple uh well that should be why 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 the why this is this has to be a special weekend in a different yoga like yeah. why this is not the way every single yoga class is taught like what what sh- why should we risk to say yeah spread your legs where you can just use another word that's fine yeah like uh, why does it have to be a trauma-informed class yeah. so that people who have been through trauma can go to this class and not feel triggered yeah. why don't we just not trigger anyone yeah. Or at least try our best <laughs> not to trigger. I mean, you're going to... Yeah, do your best. Yeah. You're always going to offend somebody at some point. You can't... Yeah. No one's perfect. But at least use the language where it's the most well-informed and least triggering possible so that you can go to any yoga class in any yoga studio with any teacher. Yeah. And, and feel safe. Not, yeah, and feel safe and also not feel triggered that somebody says a certain word or a certain thing that's going to be like, remind you of a, whatever, like... Why does it have to be a trauma-informed yoga class? Yeah. <laughs> Why can't we just all do that? And I kind of feel like what you were yeah. saying, that I feel like everybody should do a 200-hour yoga teacher training plus or as part of you know, accessible yoga and how you can teach everybody. It shouldn't just be yeah. how to teach the poses. It should be how to teach yeah. somebody in a larger size body, how to teach somebody who's in a wheelchair, how to teach somebody who's only got one leg, how to teach people with you know depression and anxiety or all these different things that come into it like that should just be part of teaching yoga it shouldn't be something special that you have to like do an extra course for because you can like it just should be just part of it like you want to be a yoga teacher fine we're going to tell you how to teach everybody not just rich skinny white girls (laughs) exactly yeah that's what my training is really all about I mean I I totally I couldn't agree more that I, I, I want to put myself out of business is basically my goal. Yeah. <laughs> that was something else you said. Was it? Yeah. I'm sure it was you. Yeah, Did you I said, say that? Yeah, about like, I don't, do you remember it? Yeah, you, you, you had a quote in the presentation about oh yeah something, something along the business. line of if we do it the right way we will be out of business so we can't redo it i don't know like you don't yeah. want people to come back oh, like for 20 years and practice yoga with you because yeah. what's the point like they should have autonomy of their own body and start to learn how to like the whole it. point of yoga is not to make money and keep people coming back it's so that people have know how to move their own body in their yeah. own way and i love that as well that yeah. you said yeah yeah I, I totally agree like i think we should be freeing our students of us yeah. you know and, and they could become they can have agency over their body and learn enough about yoga to create their home practice and really build that i mean it's great to go back to classes for inspiration but to we don't need students to to rely on us so much. I think that's part of the problem. You know, there's a long history of, of abuse in yoga of many kinds. So I think that's part of it. Um, 
But I would say around accessibility, it's the same thing. Like, I feel like, I honestly feel like anyone should be able to go to any yoga class and the teacher can serve them. Mm. To me, like, I think, I know there are situations where, you know, a, a student might have a specific disability or illness and feel like they want to make sure the teacher has the correct training. And so there's a place for that. And to me, that's like yoga therapy, mm-hmm. where you would go and you get, you, you approach yoga more as a healing modality. You want to use it as part of your healthcare, and that's fine. But if you're just going to go to yoga for fun and you just want to do like a yoga class that's either strengthening or relaxing or whatever it is that your kind of general goal is, I feel like anyone should go to any class and be able to be served there and be kept safe there. Mm-hmm. And that's really the goal of our of the work. And so I do, we do, a sh- I actually shortened my training. It was originally a yoga therapy um, program, but I've decided I wanted to not keep it to yoga therapy, but actually just try and connect with as many teachers as I could and train as many teachers as I could in a shorter platform. So it's now a 30 hour training and I teach it all over the place. Well, at least when we could travel, like I was telling (laughs) you before we recorded, yeah, I used to travel all over and I had, um, we have about 10 other trainers. We were doing at least 40 programs a year through over around the world. Um, and with COVID that's changed. It's all online right now, but I am doing them and it's been pretty effective. And it's just like the, to me, it's like the basic information you need as a yoga teacher to keep people safe and to make them feel welcome. Like that's the goal of that training, keeping them safe and to make it an effective practice for them. And also to be able to teach multiple levels at the same time, which is a skill that I think a lot of yoga teachers can find eventually, but it's harder for new teachers. I'm just warning you. That's That's something I'm struggling to get my head around. It's like, okay, so if I was to teach my grandma in a chair, my mum probably in a chair as well, or like, you know, my brother on a mat, and then this person and that person, like, how would you teach everyone the same thing? Like, that's what I'm trying to like, I hate to say it, but you should take my training because that's exactly, okay, that's exactly what we do. Exactly what we do is we look at techniques for doing that. Honestly, it's, it's, there's skills you can have as a teacher to make that easier mm-hmm. um, and if you want I can go into I don't know how much time you have but I could explain that here or you just come take the training but it's it's not like um, you don't have to figure it out yourself like there are ways to do it um, just like there are ways to adapt a practice to anybody so like mm-hmm. those are the two things we focus on in that training we talk about how to teach mixed level classes how to adapt a pose to anyone at any level uh, and I mean anyone, actually. I really mean that when I say that. Um, and also, we do a short like overview of what are all the is- main issues in, in yoga, the obstacles that are keeping it from being accessible. Like we look at issues of cultural appropriation, racism, um, you know, um, consent and lack of consent in yoga. Mm-hmm. We look at uh, issues like that, but most of the time is, is spent on this question of like how to make your class really feel like it's a, a welcoming environment. Yeah. So anybody who's listening, who's already done some yoga teacher trainings, we will leave all the information obviously in okay. the show notes as well. You, yeah, you have a training pretty soon, right? If I remember. Uh, May is the yeah. next one online, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, the episode will be out about then, so I'll make sure to leave it in, uh, to leave a link uh, so people yeah. can take a look at it. I mean, that's the accessible yoga training. And then the other thing we do is we do conferences and that's fun, so mm-hmm. for yoga teachers, Conferences are a way you can bring together a larger group of teachers to learn from each other. You know, it's not just me teaching. It's like 
we'll have 50 presenters speaking on so many various different aspects wow. of yoga. And it's really an effort for the nonprofit makes to elevate other voices in yoga and, and to do this kind of, um, what do you call it? Community building and professional networking, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. connecting us that way. Because I also feel like because yoga has become so, um, I don't know, like it's like an industry. Like yeah. there's the, there is like the yoga industry out there, but I don't yeah. really feel like I'm part of that so much. Like I think there's also a very strong yoga community of teachers and practitioners who are really dedicated to yoga and wanting to share it and make it um accessible and equitable and so we really focus on that as well at the conferences um and we have that our biggest our big conference will be in october um online again this year so that's good it's easy you you also have a podcast yes and i have a podcast podcast. with amber karns yeah and we we interview um yeah many different people in yoga doing incredible stuff and then sometimes we just answer questions so definitely that's a great way to learn more about our programs for sure and it's free so you yeah can, yeah and, the and accessible that, yoga podcast and it's yeah. available everywhere so that means it's it's a great medium to raise the awareness because that's why we're saying before now the i feel you have all the tools in place so now it's a matter of having people finding you being aware of your work and the services you provide so they can mm-hmm. I, I don't like the word improve um but they can uh, get knowledgeable and get educated yeah. about it um so yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a matter of putting yourself out there <laughs> as much as possible so people can find you and and and, and know about yeah. the work you do thank you yeah well i mean that's that's part of my job you know is sharing <laughs> about the work of the nonprofit, but also you know as a teacher i can't help it like i just want to teach because I've been teaching for a long time and and I love to share about yoga so yeah it's interesting how yoga came into your life at a time where like I don't know you didn't expect it like you 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 were like it's funny I don't know I I find it quite interesting to get into a spiritual practice Mm. at a time where you were very angry and and protesting and everything uh and yoga came into your life at this time and helped you navigate those rough times and yeah. and eventually became like a few decades ago it became a career and and a book a podcast talks trainings traveling the world through yeah. it uh you came a long way <laughs> yeah. um, in, in 25 years, 20, 25 years ish. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's been, yeah, a hell of a ride, but it's been amazing to see. That's true. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It has been amazing. I feel very lucky. I mean, the, the fact that I get to do what I love for a living is, is incredible. And I think, um, I mean, that's really the way to have a happy life, it seems, is to do the thing that you're passionate about and just keep, but I just can't help it. I mean, my husband is so tired of it. Like, I, it's all I talk about all the time. You know, it's not like, it's just my, I'm obsessed. Like, literally, every word out of my mouth is something about yoga. And I mean, he just, his eyes just roll back in his head, you know, because we've been together now longer than that. I think we're together for 28 years. So he's oh, wow. seen it all. He's been through that all with me, but... Um, patiently watching me um 
Is and he my into kids yoga too. Or not at all? Not really. He he will do it sometimes when I force him, but he's not. <laughs> Although he probably knows more about it than me at this point, because literally, like, I just talking about it so much. Yeah. He knows everything about yoga. Yeah. Uh, and my kids to. too. My kids too. I mean, I have kids who are, my kids are 19 and 15 uh, that we've adopted at birth. And um, they're the same way. Like, they don't practice, but I know that they both know yoga because when they were little, I just did so much yoga with them. <laughs> You know, so I hope someday they'll come back to yoga. <laughs> I'm sure they will. Yeah. yeah, it's there. Like you said, like like we said at the beginning with your with, with your grandmother, it's it's in the brain somewhere. Exactly. Anyway. That's what she did for me. You know, she really she planted that seed in me, yeah. and I think that that's why you say, well, it's interesting that yoga came up for me kind of when I was going through such a hard time or when my life was challenged um, during my activist years but I think that's exactly the point is that she had actually kind of given me this awareness that mm -hmm. yoga exists and so I kind of knew I think some part of me knew like I could go there um, to care for myself and I think that's what I'm trying to share with people too is just like these practices are there for us and I think it's I think people often come to yoga when they're struggling or to spiritual practice you know when yeah. when they're in pain or suffering in some way Um, that's when we need support. That's when we need um, guidance. And that's what yoga can offer us. Um, mm -hmm. And I really feel like these practices are, um, they're applicable to our lives today. That's, that's the thing that I liked. That's the message that I want to share with people is like, it's not just the asana, but there is, there's so much there that we can learn from. These are like uh, universal and eternal ideas do you know what i mean like they're they're beautiful teachings around working with the mind very detailed ideas around how to work with your mind how to how to avoid suffering and um and how to work with the body as well it's just so powerful so actually my i'm i just finishing my second book actually um i'm going through the final edit right now actually it's been kind of challenging but it comes out in the fall but it's it's really focused on that idea that We can apply the teachings now, right now, in our lives, uh, in the midst of, you know, a world that seems completely chaotic and, and like a lot of injustice. And, I, and I'm trying to focus on that idea of, you know, the intersection between social justice and yoga philosophy, um, but in a, in a in applicable way. So I'm just trying to share that story that I, My, my story really of, of doing that, of trying to apply the yoga teachings in my life and to, to make change, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. yeah wow. What's going to be the title of the book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I just wanna, it, it's called Yoga Revolution. Okay. Um, and the subtitle is, I think, Building a Practice of Courage and Compassion. Mm. All right. We'll be... Keeping an eye on that yeah. then <laughs> in a Looking few months. Yeah, I'm excited. I know. Comes out in November. I mean, probably start talking about it more in the summer, but yeah. Um, right. That'll yeah, be my excited. that can be my birthday present. Okay. <laughs> Here we are. I'll send <laughs> it to you. <laughs> um I've I've got a question about something you said a, a few minutes ago. Uh if you don't mind me, I mean you you can say whatever you want about it. It's okay. Um uh, but you mentioned that you adopted two children. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about like adoption is one story by itself. Yeah. Um, 
how how was uh, adopting children as a gay couple in in, in America? Uh, I'm mm. curious about the experience, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, yeah no, I'm happy to. I, I don't usually get to talk about it very much. I mean, um, especially the p fact that I was the stay-at-home parent for the both of my kids. So, like, during this whole time that I was teaching, I was always trying to balance caring for them, which I just have to say that for who, you know, whoever has kids, and, and especially for the main caregiver, like, I have so much compassion like I it's like nothing else in the world like it is so challenging um, and my kids both have challenges my daughter has um, serious mental health disability mm -hmm. that made you know and and still is making her you know raising her very challenging so I would say for parents of kids with disabilities especially I feel very um, I don't know compassionate But I would just say the adoption process wasn't that hard. It was a little early. I mean, I, mean, I think these days it's more common here. We, were, we did it quite a while ago. Our son will be 20 uh, in a few months. And, and so we were doing this process um, yeah, around 1999. Um, and in those days, it was a little unusual for gay men to be adopting. But uh, we used um, open adoption, which is a process That where the birth parents, usually the birth mother, chooses the adoptive parents. Mm -hmm. And I loved this idea because it felt very um, open and yeah. honest. And I really wanted that. Especially as two men, like, it's obvious that we didn't give birth to this child. Like, we're not going to pretend that we're the birth parents. So we always, we wanted our kids to know who their birth mothers were mm -hmm. and their birth fathers. So we've always, they've always known and we've had contact. Mm -hmm. um, So it's, it's been okay. I mean, there's been some prejudice from, I think my kids have experienced some homophobia from their peers, like, you know, growing up and having to, and my daughter told me the other day, it's like she has to come out all the time, which I hadn't even really thought about. But it's like, you know, she has to always be sharing that she has two dads and her, her she has a gay family. Um, my son never really cared what people thought. <laughs> he just, he's in his own world. He like, doesn't care. She's more sensitive to that kind of peer pressure stuff. But um, so, yeah, so there's that issue, I think, of what their experience has been. And I think for us, you know, we've had some struggles where people, especially when there were babies, like people, I remember when, when, when the kids were little and I would be out with them um, alone, there was a lot of like, um, where's mom? Or are you babysitting? You know, like... This whole idea, this idea that when a dad takes care of their kid, that they're babysitting, yeah. like just completely infuriates me. Yeah. It's like, if you're the dad, you're not babysitting. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's a bit of that. I think issues around that, around the role of men in parenting, I think there's a, we have a lot of work to do here in the U.S. around that and like elevating fathers um, to just to do better and to be more engaged. I think it's, it's happened, though, you know. Um, it's changing. It's getting there, but yeah, it's getting there. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's interesting what you yeah. said about yeah, from the point of view of your kids as well. Like, uh, how many times when you're at school, you have to fill up a form, and it's yeah, mum and dad. <laughs> you know, like yeah. the, the the pre thing. Like the yeah, yeah. Now that I think about it, oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, all I guess. the time. Or things like making Mother's Day cards or. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just things like that. Like, okay, well, <laughs> yeah, 
interesting. Yeah, it was it was it was challenging for them, you know, like to not have a mom basically. I mean, they they do have a birth mothers, both of them, but mm-hmm. it was like, you know, it's like well, no, my daughter. Yeah, like you mean my dad? Like she would just, I don't know. It's it's yeah. it's challenging for them. So I feel a little badly for them in a way that they had to deal with that. But mostly, I think um, it's just been such a journey. Like I just had no idea. Are you going to have kids? Can I ask you? Are you, are you? Do you have kids now? No, no, we don't. No. No. Can I ask you that? Well, Is that too personal? No, yeah, you can ask us. Um, <laughs> we've actually recorded four episodes on yeah. our podcast because we uh. had a miscarriage and then I had to have an abortion at 26 weeks, so six and a half months pregnant because mm. of health issues. And then I've had two other miscarriages since then. So if you want to listen, <laughs> listeners and you, you can okay. listen to our whole story. <laughs> but it's interesting because we've kind of contemplated adoption and if we would yeah. go down that route or if we would not, I don't know yet the answer. So it's kind of, yeah. we might reach out to you if we ever decide yeah, to no, and get some yeah. advice. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I would that... say I know very little about adoption right now because it was so long yeah. ago. Like my daughter is 15, so that was the... That was still quite a while back. But what I would just say about it is that um, I think adoption's amazing. And I mean, I'm totally supportive of it. What I think is not talked about enough is that a lot of kids who are, kids who are adopted have mental health issues that might that are might be related to adoption a little bit, but also just could be other things. But there is yeah. it, the, the research is there, like there is a higher ratio of mental health challenges of mm-hmm. adopted kids. And I think, um, like I said, I think there's many reasons for it. Um, but um, I think it's good to go and aware of that, you yeah. know, when you're yeah. going to adopt kids. Um, yeah, I mean, I can talk to you about that more, but I just think it's an area that hasn't been talked about. And it's not I mean. I mean, my kids are my kids. Like, it's not like I think about them in any, any you know, I'm sure yeah, like, yeah, yeah. but it's just like whenever someone asks about or thinks about adoption, I'm just like, do you realize, like, you need to educate yourself around what yeah. it really means um, because it's a, it's a, it's, it's something. People say to us, like, it kind of is the easy option, like, oh, well, you can always adopt. And I'm like, yeah, well, I could, but I mean, it's easy no. just to say that, but it's a whole process and it's a whole, like, you're, taking a child who's had whatever situation beforehand exactly and you just like they it's just, I don't know, it's just this whole conversation it's not, not just, just signing a paper it's not just like oh you can always just adopt it's like well yeah, yeah but it's, it's like a whole like it's a real decision that you have to spend time thinking about and assessing and like you said getting the knowledge on it and actually knowing what you're signing up for rather than just being like i want yeah. a kid so i'll adopt like it's not just Right. Like, it's not like the default, like, oh, I can't have a make a baby. So therefore, I'm just going to adopt. I think it needs to be a conscious choice. Like I am, I'm going to embrace a child and um, become the parent of a child that has a different um, genetic background and trauma history than I do. And they're actually because of that, I think there tends to be um tension within within the family like it's something that has to be addressed and i'm not saying everyone who's adopted has that but i just Mm -hmm. i think that it's really good to go in consciously and be aware of that like yeah like i don't know i don't even know like a lot about their birth parents and their families like i've tried but it's really hard to get that information and and there's like a certain amount of um yeah just like family connection that is not there in adoption you know so it's just been really interesting. Uh, and I encourage my kids to reach out now that they're older um, to their birth parents. And so that's happened a little bit. Yeah. 
but um yeah it's good to it's good to think i mean it's a, it's a good option and i think that adoption's amazing um especially if there's a child that needs a home that's the thing there's millions of children like i think in india really it's like 40 million children that need adopting like yeah there's so many children that would love a home yeah but i think that you have to be careful that you're not going in also as like the savior because i think it's just gonna yeah you have to be really careful like this is the life that i'm building this is the family that i'm building and why yeah and 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 consciously and deciding um you know what what child is going to complete that family um yeah just like you said it just needs to be a conscious choice i think yeah Yeah. i mean yeah it is something that we've been discussing like um that um um in favor of that i would i would consider when it's time um because um, yeah like we we have some health a health condition that basically makes it pretty complicated for us to have a baby it's not impossible but it's a real pain yeah. uh and it's stressful as hell yeah. now like the the thought about pregnancy just scares me as hell now because of everything we had to go through mm-hmm. for like three years or whatever um but i still i would i still want to have a child um like to, uh, to raise a child uh so yeah adoption is something that i would consider when when the time is right because um yeah if 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 having my own biological baby, whatever I'm, I'm supposed to say, <laughs> uh, natural yeah. baby is, is, is not an option. Uh, the, the the fact to yeah like raise a child and and with everything that's involved in that, it's it's a thought that like uh, I, mm-hmm. I, I like to eventually yeah go through that. So something. Yeah. Well, yeah. it'll definitely change your life having a baby. <laughs> That's all I would say. Is being a parent is nothing like it. Like I had no idea. I had no idea. I w- I had this fantasy about it, you know. But oh, yeah, yeah. Like it just consumes you. And then it's like the thing about parents. I think it's like having a part of you outside in the world running around that you can't control. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know what I mean? So this is like giving part of yourself away it's yeah quite it's surrendering challenging. yeah well. it's challenging but but amazing too you know mm. so i don't mean to scare you away <laughs> but, I, but i do think parents should come in a little more informed in general not just adopted parents but all parents you know i think oh, you yeah. just yeah. need a little bit of a wake-up call because i think um i see it and i saw it in the people around me who are parenting at the same time it's just completely overwhelming like lack of sleep and <laughs> taking over your life and then really having to like dedicate yourself to their care um and being aware of what are they doing and what am i saying and how you know i mean there's so many levels to it yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it doesn't really stop ever it's so. a full full-time lifetime job <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a life job yeah. lifetime yeah. job well thank you for being so honest with us about that then also you know the whole the whole episode has been really amazing thank you so much for sharing yeah thanks for having me i appreciate it uh, yeah thank you so much for taking the, the time uh, to record this episode with us it was it, 
it was better than I expected. <laughs> uh, I had no, I had a, whole, a lot of questions, and I didn't think we would like talk about all those subjects and and go deep into everything. So I'm I'm, I'm really happy and I'm really thankful and grateful about uh. your openness to talk about your your journey. Uh, yeah well i appreciate you asking sometimes i think oh it's so boring who wants to hear like all of that story you know what i mean but then again i realized we learn from each other that way we learn from stories so i appreciate you asking me those questions it was really sweet of you and uh, thanks again yeah thanks for having me i will link everything uh important in a show note your social media your websites your training your book your podcast uh, and everything else that I can find um, so people okay. can get in touch with you and, and get involved. Or you can find... ask your question. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> I usually ask a question at the end of the episode <laughs> and I tend to forget pretty often. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder. Um, if you could have a conversation with someone dead or alive that you think is the most interesting person in your eyes who would you mm. pick and why oh wow <laughs> if i would have uh he always just drops this bomb on people and they're like oh <laughs> no idea what to say <laughs> it's so interesting um so a real person <laughs> whatever you want to say whatever you want to say <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm deep in in finishing this book and I I would love to have a conversation with Patanjali (laughs) if he was a real person. (laughs) I would really love to get a sense of those teachings, like really where did it start? Because I just feel like it's like been so interpreted so much and I'm really trying to live those teachings in yoga. So Patanjali, you know, is the person who really wrote down some of the essential yoga teachings and there's so much confusion about that book. So I just want to know, like, I'd love to talk to him. Like, yeah. what's up, Patanjali? Let's <laughs> <laughs> hang. Yeah, because I guess it's been, it's been interpreted, translated, transformed over the, the years and years and years. That what's, what's actually left of yeah. it, the remaining, or probably far from what it was back in the days. Yeah. And, and I know some people think they can say what that was. But I think those are still contemporary people now, just guessing, really. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I'd like, let's hear what he has to say. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Right. Uh, once again, yeah. thank you so much for um, taking the time and for being so open and, and honest about everything that we asked you. Um, yeah. We'll be back next week, as usual, with a new episode. Yeah. And, yeah, until then, have a great week. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye.